Well, good morning. It's, it's good to see each one of you. Um, Pastor Ryan is gone this morning, so if you're new, you might not know that he's missing, but um, he is in Connell, Washington, and uh, he's sharing with the church over there, um, along with uh, Chuck Hengis and Eric Gentry, about all that God is doing here at Involved Church and in churches in our network here in the Treasure Valley. Um, it's just, it's encouraging to hear about. And so he went over there to share with them. And there's a possible partnership with that church that we're looking forward to. But you can be praying for them as they're going to be traveling back today. So, um, but want to welcome you. We are uh, in week two of Recruited Out of Our Mess to Make Him Known. So this is a new sermon series for us that's going to continue through November. Um, We also have our life groups that are following along with this, and so um, we're going to cover a ton of information today um, in this this four verses or five verses, Uh, but you're going to have the opportunity later this week in your life groups to talk through some of these these pieces and pray with one another and fellowship together and have a meal together. And so uh, Recruited is uh, in 1 Peter, and uh, and, uh, I want to... uh, I want to share with you, uh, last week, Ryan uh, talked about how Peter um, wrote this uh, letter during a time of great persecution. There were, there were Christians that were undergoing extreme opposition and were being tortured and martyred for the faith, for the name of Jesus. Um, and he, uh, Peter, makes a great, uh, a, a great deal about how affliction, there's a purpose for it, how the struggles of this life, there is a purpose for it, and that purpose is to, uh, is to refine our faith and is to make Jesus known. And uh, Pastor Ryan covered that last week. Um, before we dive into the text, though, let's go ahead and pray together. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come before this passage of Scripture today, and we ask that you would help us to truly reflect on your big plan of salvation. Um, Lord, how Jesus came to this earth. He lived a righteous life. He died the death that we should have died, um, but that we needed him to die for us. And then he rose again, and as he rose, he was victorious over death, over sin. And as we place our faith and trust in him, we have peace with you. We can rejoice. And that all of history and creation is wrapped up in pointing to Jesus Christ and glorifying you, God the Father. Lord, I pray that your spirit would work in us today to help us see the importance of this passage of scripture. I pray that you work on our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this letter was written by the Apostle Peter. Um, This guy knew Jesus really well. He walked and talked with Jesus and learned from him and ate with him for for three years before he went to the cross and was crucified on the cross. Um, He also um, uh, spent some time with Jesus after he was resurrected and then ascended into heaven. And so um, Jesus, uh, or uh, Peter knew Jesus very well. And now, uh, like I was sharing with you, in the life of the church, we're in a time period where the church is undergoing extreme persecution. And if you remember in our, uh, our Taboo series that we had earlier this year, where we talked about um, the things that we don't talk about usually in church, um, we, we had a message on uh, government and politics. And in that message, we learned a little bit about Roman, the, uh, uh, Nero, the Roman emperor. Um, he was a tyrant. 
emperor, and he, uh, he persecuted the, the Christians in a very extreme way. He would go to great lengths to not only blame some of the, the mistakes that he made on the Christians, but um, they would suffer for, for their faith. They were martyred. He would, um, he would literally put them up on a pole, coat them in wax, and light it on fire and, and, and execute them in that way. Um, and Peter himself, the guy who wrote these words that we're about to go through together, he, uh, tradition holds, some, some extra biblical literature holds that he was crucified in Rome on a cross upside down. So uh, the reason I share this with you, um, and, and it, by the way, is very likely at the hands of Nero, um, but the reason that I share this with you is because Peter is not unacquainted with suffering. Peter very much knows what suffering is. He's watched his friends, his family, his brothers and sisters in Christ be brutally tortured and murdered for the name of Christ. And he knows that that, uh, that is on the horizon for him as well. Um, they're being daily persecuted for their faith. Um, but uh, their faith didn't waver, did it? So Pastor Ryan covered last week how their faith was as tough as nails. Even as they are going to be tortured to death, um, they continue to stand firm in the faith, and they stood firm um, in Christ and in their faith and professing that he was the risen Savior. Um, And again, the reason for that was to refine their faith and to bring praise and glory to Christ. Uh, And having just talked about that in verses 1 through 7, Peter goes on, and he he sort of carries that theme into verses 8 through 12, which is what we're going to read today. So if you have a Bible or you have, um, you have a device to pull up these passages, you can. It'll also be on the screen this morning. Uh, so uh, verse 8 of the first chapter of First Peter says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse. Of these things, so as we read these uh, these verses, uh, these uh, words of Peter in verses eight through twelve, we're going to see this concept come out. Our recruiter is now unseen, but we still believe in him, we love him, and we rejoice in him. We don't see him face to face, but we believe in him, we love him, and we rejoice on him. So let's go ahead and and uh, unpack these together. So we're going to start with verses eight and nine. Um, we believe in an unseen Savior, and specifically, um, we believe or we love Jesus, our unseen Savior. So, starting with verse eight. Um, sorry, I'm having trouble with the clicker. Can you hit the next one for me, Ali? There. Though you have not seen him, you love him. So uh, I I glossed over this verse at first when I was reading it. I was like, yeah, of course. <laughs> Though you've not seen him, you love him, but. Um, there's, there's a couple things that we need to think about uh, as we put ourselves in Peter's shoes, what he's saying. Again, this is a guy who saw Jesus, and he walked with Jesus, and, and he loved Jesus um, for who he is, what he did. Um, but he's talking to Christians who have been scattered um, all, over the, all over the Roman Empire because of persecution. He's writing to these Christians, and many of them have never even met Jesus. 
and yet he's saying you love him. Um, my question for you is uh, how often do you love somebody that you've never met face to face? That's kind of a weird, that's a weird concept. Um, and also this word, this word love, this isn't like uh, the, the world's definition of love. When Peter is using this word, this word love actually has um, some really heavy connotations of continuous love, never stopping love, um, love. You're in a state of love for Christ that never ends despite the circumstances. So whatever comes your way, you're going to continue to love Jesus even though you've never seen him. So let's take it a step further. Um, these Christians have never met Jesus. By the way, that includes us, doesn't it? If you believe in Jesus Christ, you've never seen him, and yet you believe. And so we've not seen Jesus, uh, same as these Christians in the first century, um, and yet they love him. But let's take it a step further. Not only do they, do they love Jesus, but they're willing to suffer and die for somebody that they've never even seen face to face. This is a supernatural love that's happening so they, they heard the gospel. The gospel was preached to them, and the Holy Spirit now indwells in them, and the love that's within them now enables them to, to love God and love Jesus and, ki- and keep their eyes fixed on Jesus. Paul says something about this. Let's look at Romans. Romans chapter 5, verses 2 through 5 says this. We have also obtained access, talking about Christians, those that believe and follow Jesus. We have also obtained access through him, Jesus, by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Uh, So the Holy Spirit... Uh, it's the Holy Spirit we turn to when, um, when we're undergoing suffering and affliction. And as we endure suffering and affliction, it gives way to character. And that character um, builds our hope. And Peter talks about that hope, and he calls it a, a living hope that grows as God works on us and as we walk through, through life. And that hope isn't, uh, isn't a vain hope. It's rooted in the love of God that he's poured into our hearts as we believe in Jesus and we see all of who he is and all of what he's done um, and, and his spirit, and we believe on him and, his, and, and God's spirit dwells in us. Um, that love is poured into our hearts. And so it's God that enables us to love Jesus and continue in that steadfast love even through difficulty and hardship and really awful things in this life. And so that love is given to us by God. It's enabled us. It's enabled in us by God. And it, it, it helps us to endure the most difficult of challenges that life sends our way. Um, so we love Jesus, our unseen Savior, but not only do we love Jesus, we believe in Jesus and we rejoice. This word believe here, um, it's more than just mental assent. Like it's more than just, yeah, I acknowledge that uh, Jesus was a person, that he lived, he died, he rose again. Um, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, not only do I, do I, um, mentally assent, I have mental assent to that, but um, I also, um, I I love Jesus, and I I believe in that, and you place all of your hope and your trust in that. The Bible talks about how the demons agree with the truth that Jesus lived, died, and rose again. That's in James. You can look it up. The demons believe in that, um, but they don't believe in Jesus. To believe in Jesus means a lot more. It means that you place your entire trust and all of your hope 
in the person of Jesus Christ. And it means that you've come to the point where you don't put your faith in anything that you can do, but in everything that Christ is and what he has done. Um, and a true trust and hope in Jesus isn't without, without feeling either. And that's why he says, we believe in Jesus and we rejoice. Um, he says this, we rejoice with inexpressible, glorious joy. So he puts a couple adjectives to that. Um, inexpressible, glorious joy. Uh, first, that, that, that verb rejoice, that actually means to feel joy. So uh, again, it's not just this mental agreement with who Jesus is, but um, the love that he pours into our hearts enables us to feel joy because of who he is and what he's done for us. Um, so let me ask you a question. When you think about who Jesus is, what he's done for you, do you feel joy? Do you feel that joy that God has poured into your heart? Is it more than mental agreement with what he has done? Here's another question. Does your heart soar at the thought of what he's done for you? And it's not just any joy. It's not just, you know, hey, great, the Broncos got another touchdown joy. It is inexpressible and glorious joy. And so my question is, have you ever been joyful to the point where you're speechless? I think that we need um, an example of what this is. This, is a, um, this isn't quite like the joy that we should be experiencing when we think about what Christ has done for us, but I think, personally, I think it's a close second. Let, go ahead and, and listen to this, and then we're going to watch a short video. When Captain Darren Herring Jr. returned to New Orleans, Louisiana, after serving nine months in Iraq, he knew exactly who he had to see. He went to see his nine-year-old nephew, Jaden, and uh, watch his reaction as he enters the school office to see Jaden for the first time. Let's take a look at this. I told you I was gonna come see you. You thought I was playing, huh? Oh. probably have to hit the lights on button there. We're having some issues today. But we rejoice with a joy that cannot be put into words. Um, Peter also says that the joy is a glorious joy. So yeah, on the right there, um, Allie, there should be a button that says spots on. So go ahead and hit that button. Russ is coming back to help you. Um, we rejoice with a joy that can't be put into words. Um, Peter also says this, a glorious joy. Now, back in Jesus' time, um, they, had, they had the Old Testament, right? Thank you. They had the Old Testament, and, uh, and they had it in both Hebrew, but they also translated it into the modern, the modern language so that um, everyone could benefit from it, and they didn't have to learn Hebrew in order to um, know and benefit from the writings of the Old Testament uh, prophets and authors. And so uh, they call it the Septuagint. You might have heard of it. 
And the Septuagint is translated into Greek. And the same Greek word that we have for glorious joy is used in another spot in the Greek Old Testament. And I, the reason we have this in here, I want, I want you to get an idea. It gives us a better idea of the glorious joy that Peter is talking about. So the same word here, this is uh, Moses has just come down with the Ten Commandments. As Moses descended from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, as he descended the mountain, he did not realize that the skin of his face shone as a result of his speaking with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face shone. They were afraid to come near him, but Moses called out to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near, and he commanded them to do everything the Lord had told him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. After he came out, he would tell the Israelites what he had been commanded. And the Israelites would see that Moses' face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went to speak with the Lord. So uh, every time Moses came face to face with God, his face was literally glory-filled. It was the radiant glory of God that caused his face to shine. And guess what? So when we believe on Jesus, we rejoice with glorious joy. That's the same word. So the joy is is given to us by God as we um, literally, we come face to face with our sinfulness. We come to the realization that um, all is hopeless for us in our suffering, in our affliction, in our sin. But then we turn our eyes to Jesus. We look at him and God, and we realize that we need him. And there's nothing else that can help us other than Jesus. And as we believe on him and put our full trust and hope in Jesus, his love is poured into our hearts and we have joy that's radiant joy that we cannot contain, that's seen by all, because, and yet we're, we're in, we can't express it with words, but it overflows in our life. That's the kind of joy that Peter is talking about here when we're thinking about the salvation, that Jesus is our salvation, and we begin to rejoice with the joy of God because he saved us. And that leads us to, um, that leads us to the third point here. That's why we rejoice. It's because of Jesus, who is our salvation. So the reason that Peter gives for Christians um, rejoicing in the midst of great suffering is because they're receiving the goal of their salvation. Another way to translate that, it's kind of a weird way to phrase it, but another way to translate that is the outcome of our salvation, which is the salvation of our souls. And what Peter's talking about here is not just liberation from sin in this lifetime. So God enables us to um, be free of sin, of the bondage of sin, which is a result of our salvation. But what Peter is talking about here in the context, keep in mind, he's talking about suffering in, the, in, in that context, physical suffering, persecution at the hands of the Roman emperor and of other people. And, uh, and he's talking about the ultimate end of our salvation. So what's the worst that somebody could do to you for your salvation, for your faith and your trust and your profession that Jesus Christ is your savior? The worst that they could do is kill you, right? Death, like physical death. But Paul talks about how dying is actually gain because when you die, you're going to be face to face with your Lord and your Savior, the one that you rejoice in with a glorious joy, the one that you hope in. That was weird. <laughs> no one can really touch us because if we die, we end up face to face with our Lord and Savior, Jesus. So up to this point, um, 
Our recruiter is now unseen, but we still believe in him. We love him, and we rejoice in him. So that's verses 8 and 9. Now, Peter at this point, he shifts gears a little bit. Uh, So we've been looking at um, the Christians of that time who are being persecuted, who many of them have not seen Jesus face to face. And by the way, that includes us too, right? So from that point forward, people have not seen Jesus face to face. Um, And yet they still believe in him. They still love him. We still rejoice in him. Um, And now Peter shifts gears and he starts talking about how other persons with different roles throughout time and history have looked at Jesus and they're fascinated with God's unfolding plan of redemption and how he, he works about his good purposes to save humanity. So this section starting in verse uh, 10, going all the way through verse 12, is called our recruiter seen by others. So let's go ahead and read it again together. Concerning the salvation, which we just talked about, the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. So, uh, The first category of people um, that played a unique role were ones that predicted the Messiah. So the the prophets, they saw Jesus in advance. God revealed to them in advance that Jesus was going to come, and they did it with remarkable accuracy, talking about um, everything that he would undergo and the signs uh, of the Messiah when he comes. And uh, this is probably a really good time to talk a little bit about how God revealed his unfolding plan of salvation to the prophets, and it fits the text. So we're going to talk about a concept real quick called, just a side note, um, called prophetic telescoping. Are you excited? I'm really, I'm really excited. Um, Hopefully it's not terribly confusing. So that picture right there, imagine this ridgeline is, is the passage of time, okay? Here you've got uh, some prophets, Um, predicting the cross where Jesus would suffer, die, and then he rose again. And then you have when he's going to come again to rule and reign, and he's going to bring peace to rule the nations, and their sorrow will be no more. Well, from our vantage point, we can see that there's a lot of time between uh, these two events, and we know because 2,000 years have passed, and Jesus has not come back yet to rule and reign. Um, So that is our vantage point. Um, the The prophets, what God revealed to them, They were remarkably accurate um, and clear about these events. Um, We know for sure about this event, um, uh, how we interpret this event. um, You know, there's a lot of different ideas. um, But we know that this is going to happen because our faith and trust uh, rests in God, and we know that he brought about um, all the events he said he would bring about in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, that's our vantage point, and we know about this passage of time because... We know history, right? 2,000 years worth of history. What if you were back here, you're one of the prophets, and you're looking at forward, and God is revealing these to you, and you have a telescope, and you're looking at this ridgeline from a different perspective. What do you think that would look like? It would probably look something like this, okay? So now I'm standing to the left of the ridgeline, looking up at it, 
And I can still see the cross. I can see Jesus coming to rule and reign. But what can I not see? I cannot see the passage of time. I cannot see what happens in between. That is an example of prophetic telescoping, okay? Um, so the prophets were remarkably accurate in the details of what was going to happen, um, but God didn't necessarily reveal to them the passage of time, how much time was going to happen between everything that was going to happen in between. Um, and there were some details he didn't necessarily specify that are unclear. So you might be asking, why did God do it this way? Um, because God did it that way. That's the answer to it, okay? He's God, and he gets to choose the way, um, the way he's going to reveal his plan to us. So there you go. That's a crash course in prophetic telescoping, but it does directly apply to this particular passage. So hopefully you aren't more confused than when you walked in. But back to the verse, Peter talks about these prophets that knew the grace was going to come to us who believe in the Messiah. And so they studied what revelation God had given to them, and they also studied past revelation, um, trying to figure out the, the other details, like fill in the gaps, and they're just fascinated with God and his unfolding plan of redemption for humanity. They're trying to determine what God was doing. Um, another side note, by the way, did you notice um, in, this, in this particular passage it says, the Spirit of Christ. If you, if you look at that, at that verse again, it says the Spirit of Christ. That's a unique phrase that's used only two other times in the New Testament. Um, if you remember last week, Ryan talked about the Holy Trinity, if you were here, that God is three persons in one essence. He's Father, He's Spirit, He's Son. Um, those are the three persons of the Holy Trinity, but they are all God. They're one and the same God, but differing persons. Um, and that figuring that out is really not possible because our minds can't fully comprehend how that works since there's nothing else like him. Um, well, this is another instance where we see the Trinity happening in um, verses 10 through 12. He talks about the Spirit of Christ. Um, this particular usage of the Spirit of Christ is unique um, in the New Testament, even from the other two, and I'll tell you why. The other two instances that the Spirit of Christ are used, and you can look this up later, and you might have some time in your life groups to do this, but the other two places it's used is in reference to the indwelling spirit of God in New Testament followers of Jesus. This one isn't like that. And I'll tell you why, because it's in reference to what? The spirit that indwells the Old Testament prophets. So it's not in reference to New Testament indwelling of the spirit, but it is in reference to the Old Testament prophets. So once again, this is a case that Jesus is God, the spirit of Christ that Jesus is God, that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are one, and that the Holy Spirit found in the Old Testament, sent by God the Father, is in fact the same Holy Spirit found in the New Testament. So again, Pastor Ryan covered that last week. Encourage you to go back and listen to his explanation on the Holy Trinity. It's really interesting, and you can look it up online too. But Peter tells us that the prophets testified in advance about the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. They saw that day. And they trusted God and had faith that it was going to happen one day. Um, so that's the first group of people that have a unique perspective. Um, there's three others. The second is the Holy Spirit. It empowered people to speak about who they saw. So we've already talked about the Holy Spirit a little bit. It empowered the Old Testament prophets, and we talked about that in verse 10. Uh, it's also in verse 12. So let's look at verse 12 one more time. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you, these things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. 
That word there, by the way, those, it's a really difficult word to translate. Those who preach the gospel, um, it literally is one word. It's gospelizers. Um, and uh, those were, those were the, uh, the apostles. But the second person is the, is the Holy Spirit, and it enabled the apostles to speak boldly concerning the gospel in their faith. And so that's our third group, by the way, is the apostles talked about who they saw. Um, and uh, literally, if you, read, uh, if you read Acts 12, or Acts 2, um, as the Holy Spirit came down on Pentecost and indwelled the people who uh, the people who followed Jesus and believed in Jesus, they were emboldened to speak the truth. And guess what? You can read about Peter, who wrote the, the text that we're talking about right now. You can read about Peter and who he was before and who he became after he was indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Peter went from being a guy, uh, if you know about Peter, Peter's kind of a guy who relied on like his own intellect and he kind of shot from the hip a little bit. Um, so when somebody asked him a question, he would usually be the first person to answer. So you have the apostles all around Jesus. If Jesus posed a question, usually you find uh, Peter responding first. And about 50% of the time, he was dead on. Like he was right um, in the Gospels. And about the other 50% of the time, he was like dead wrong and got corrected by Jesus um, in, that, in those instances, of course. Um, in a, and, and then, of course, we know that Peter himself denied Christ three times. And he, uh, every time, by the way, fascinating study, if you get a chance to study the life of Peter, almost every time in scripture where he's failing, he's referred to in his secular name, Simon. But every time he's trusting in God, he's referred to as Peter, which is the name that, that, uh, that Jesus gave him. Uh, just a fascinating study how the, the, those who wrote the gospels referred to Peter. Um, but Peter went from somebody who was somewhat proud and relied on his own intellect to being shamed and humiliated after he denied Christ three times to the point where he saw Jesus and trusted in his, in his resurrection because he saw Jesus alive. But guess what? The biggest change came in Acts 2 when Peter was indwelt by the Holy Spirit and those who followed Jesus were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And guess what happens right after that? Now Peter gets up, and he doesn't trust in his own intellect or anything of who he is. He's been humbled, and now he boldly proclaims the truth of Jesus in the strength that is Christ and the Holy Spirit, not in his own strength. And he has this big, long sermon that he preaches. And I want to encourage you to go ahead and take a look at that sermon this week in your life groups in Acts 2. Study it and see the change in Peter as the Holy Spirit indwells him. Um, but he was an apostle. He saw Jesus face to face, and uh, the Holy Spirit enabled him to talk about who they saw. Um, they were gospelizers. Do you want to be known as a gospelizer? Somebody who talks about Jesus, it just overflows in your speech. I know that I want to strive to be somebody who speaks the gospel boldly all the time. And then the last group is the angels. They long to continue looking. Um, Peter talks about how they have this intense desire to continue watching God's plan of unfold. That's what that word there means. There's an intense desire. They long to continue watching God's plan unfold, and they just worship him. And you know, if you read through scripture, you see angels worshiping God day and night, saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive honor and power and glory and strength. And they worship him, and they keep their eyes fixed on Jesus. So we have four persons, four different roles throughout history, right? The prophets, the Holy Spirit, the apostles, and the angels. And, you're and they're all fascinated with Jesus. They all are keeping their eyes fixed on Jesus. 
Um, They see God doing things throughout the course of history to bring about his good purposes, and you're probably asking yourself, what in the world does this have to do with me? Um, I know that I did. I read that, and I said, is there any application here at all? And there is. Um, Keep in mind, Peter is preaching. He's he's actually writing to uh, Christians that are undergoing extreme persecution and suffering. Here's a couple observations. Hopefully it'll It'll guide our perspective. God has a huge plan. It involves thousands and uh, thousands of years. And guess what? He recruited you to take part in it. He wants you to be a part of it as you trust in Jesus. Peter, um, he makes it clear that although there's a lot of suffering and affliction, God's plan is big. If he was able to, um, if God, listen, if God was able to uh, accomplish what he said he was going to do in bringing the Messiah who lived a righteous life, who died a death for us, and who rose again. And that unfolded the way he said it was going to unfold and the way the prophets said it was going to unfold, just like they looked forward to that day when the Messiah would come. Do you think as we look forward to the day when God makes all things right, that he can make those things happen? I believe and have faith that he can make them happen because he's already made miraculous things happen. He saved my soul. He has um, just done amazing things in my life and the lives of people around me. And, uh, and it's because of this person who came 2,000 years ago who lived, died, and rose again. He was able to do that. And the, the prophecies of the prophets came to pass. And so we trust that somehow, some way, that God will make a way that the pain of this life won't last forever. And the pain of this world won't go on forever, but he will bring peace to the nations and that sorrow will be no more and that uh, he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. Just You can read about it in Revelation 20 through 22. It's an amazing picture. So we can have faith that God is going to do those things. And the reason we can have faith is because Jesus is a living hope. He is not dead, but he is alive. He was able to raise himself from the dead. And if he was able to do that, then he can bring peace to this world and he can rule and reign. That's Jesus, our living hope. We don't have a hope that's in vain, but we have, we have hope in Jesus who is alive. So a um, couple things to ask yourself as you move into life groups this week, as you talk about these things with one another. Um, do I rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy when I think about Jesus, who's my Lord and my Savior? Uh, does my fascination rival that of the angels? Am I fascinated with this Jesus' life and how God saved me to the extent that I'll dedicate myself to intense study of the gospel? Okay? Are, 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 you, um, are you moved to want to know more about this Jesus and more about this plan that God has for saving us? And it's bigger than just me. So, um, you know, the angels keep their eyes fixed on Jesus and what God is doing in this world. And then the other thing that you want to ask yourself is uh, make it really personal. Am I looking for God's redemptive work that's unfolding in the lives of those around me? Do you see God softening hearts and people around you? Are you willing to step in to share the truth in love with people, just like the apostles shared the truth in love? And they did it boldly, sometimes in the face of extreme persecution. Sometimes we're a little comfortable, uh, uncomfortable in sharing our faith because we're not sure if the person's going to reject us or not. But guess what? The apostles got rejected time and time and time again. And then they said, we're going to kill you if, you if you do not stop speaking in the name of Jesus. And they said, okay, you can kill us but we will not stop speaking the name of Jesus. So as you see people 
people's hearts around you softening, sometimes you'll encounter hard hearts. And yet, we're still called to step in and share the truth and love. And God's Holy Spirit indwells us to embolden us to be able to do those things. So, um, all of this is driven by our salvation. We rejoice in Christ along the way. Our recruiter, Jesus, is unseen right now. We're going to see him one day, but right now he's unseen, but we still believe in him. We love him, and we rejoice in him. He is our living hope. So let's go ahead and pray together. God, this is um, what Peter is saying here. Um, It's for me too, Lord. um, Each of us, we come before you, we we humble ourselves before you, and we confess that we have not always trusted in Jesus well. We have not always loved him well. Um, Lord, uh, it's sometimes hard to believe in a Savior that's unseen, um, but Lord, we know that, um, that you have worked all things together for the good of those who love you and will continue to do so. I pray that you would work on our hearts this morning. Help us to trust you. Help us to pursue you. And Lord, help us to know the suffering of this lifetime. It's just, it's just a life will one day make all things new. You'll make everything right and justice will prevail. And Lord, that we can trust that um, we'll see your son face to face finally. And we'll be able to see him in all of his glory, and our hearts will continue to rejoice and we'll praise and worship him in that day. Lord, I pray that you would give us strength for today um, as we undergo um, suffering, persecution at times, Lord, affliction, um, all of the things that life sends our way. Lord, we know that we can endure those things because we can keep our eyes fixed on you and our Savior, Jesus. We love you in Jesus' name.